You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Auzu billahi minash shaitan rajeem. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Just gone 8 or 8 Central African time. Uh, let's welcome our pious and sagacious Ummah. Very, very hearty. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The program uh, Medical Files are uh, keeping your company this evening. And alhamdulillah, our guest uh, this evening is someone that's very dear to me. A uh, very special doctor indeed. Uh, someone that resonates uh, positively on this platform of Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jamaa. Nay, he resonates positively with uh, everyone he meets. Nulara, Noor, rosy cheeks. And you know what? He keeps everyone smiling. And alhamdulillah, a, ped- a pediatrician of the highest eminence, uh, Dr. Ridwan Umar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And jazakallah khair for joining us on Medical Files on the platforms of Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jamaa. And tell me, Doctor, how are you doing this fine, beautiful evening? Wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, brother Shafat. So good to hear your voice and so good to be back with you on the radio. Alhamdulillah, with your duas, with Almighty Allah's mercy, I am well and I make dua that you and your family are well and I make dua that our listeners are also all well. Alhamdulillah, our duas are also reciprocal. By the way, I met uh, Salim Sidat this afternoon, and oh, you know, I, remind, I reminded him today, you have to listen to Dr. Ridwan Umar. <laughs> I think you're a relative uh, living right in my town of Isapingo Beach, and uh, he's uh, a marshal. I listen quite often to, uh, uh, you know, Marcus Sahaba. So, Alhamdulillah, you've got your big family members uh, listening to you throughout <laughs> the country, and I don't know overseas too. You've got that uh, Mufti Siraj, uh, you know, what's his name? Uh, Mufti Siraj. Uh, he listens to you quite often, uh, Doctor. In the UK? Uh, uh, Mufti Siraj in the UK, very close to you, I believe. M- M- Mufti Hansrat, Mufti Hansrat, Lukman Hansrat. Okay, okay. Mr. I know him very well too, mashallah. Yeah, yeah, from Isipingo. Our, our Molano Hansrat, he was the Imam of Isipingo Hills Masjid. They moved to London in the UK. So his son is a Mufti there now. So he also listens, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So, I, Doctor, you know, a lot of pressure on us, but you are a cool, calm, and collected uh, uh, individual. I know that. You know, uh, our topic, anxiety in small children, drama at home. Then they cry uh, to go to school and say, stomach paining, stomach paining. And how does anxiety affect children's physical health? And, uh, you know, something like that, we have to think about it because they're going back to school. I mean, these are the bigger kids. But even smaller kids, uh, Doctor, talk to us. I begin by praising Almighty Allah and I send abundant salam on our beloved Nabi Muhammad Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As always, Brother Shafat, I must thank you for choosing the best topics. And, uh, you know, when you asked me to, to join you on the show, I was wondering what topic you're going to suggest. And you won't believe it, but I was thinking on exactly the same lines, you know, that it's about that, it's that time of the year now when Parents are getting their kids ready for school. Kids are getting ready to go back to school after the long holidays. And, uh, you know, we should be talking about that or something related to that. And, and uh, alhamdulillah, you hit the nail on the head with anxiety disorders associated with children and how, we, uh, how that relates to going back to school. So, you know, I think, firstly, just to make it simple for everybody to understand, an anxiety problem is basically excessive worry or excessive fear that affects your normal activities, in simple words. So whether it's a child or whether it's an adult, if we're worrying too much or we, we, we are experiencing fear that is affecting our normal daily activities, then we consider that to be a disorder or something that is pathological. It is normal human uh, experiences in life, you know, to feel happy, to feel sad, to feel anxious, to feel fear. That is that is a normal part of, of our process of life, and that is how we get tested also by Almighty Allah. But we consider it a disorder or something that's a problem if it affects our normal functioning. So in the case of a child, what is their normal functioning? Obviously, it depends on the age of the child. If you look at a toddler, their function, their work is to play. Anything that affects their play is a problem. In a little older child, like the five, six-year-old, their work is to go to school, to learn. That is their primary function. So anything that affects their learning is then considered a disorder or pathological or something that requires 
our attention in the form of helping them. Now, I often, you know, when I make a diagnosis of an anxiety disorder in children, I find that the parents actually get quite surprised. Uh, you know, the first reaction is, I didn't know children have anxiety disorders or I didn't know children get mood disorders or I didn't know a six-year-old or a seven-year-old child can suffer from depression. But these psychiatric disorders are actually quite common in children. They're often overlooked, they're often underestimated, and sometimes they're underdiagnosed because either parents don't bring them to us for those problems thinking that, you know, the child is just being difficult or being naughty, um, or sometimes, you know, we will overlook it and, 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 and pass it off as something else. So it's very important for our listeners to know that children do have uh, problems like anxiety and depression, and there's, there's many ways in which children will express this. And it's very different to the way in which adults will manifest anxiety uh, symptoms or depressive symptoms. In, in, in terms of children, the most important symptoms that we would pick up in them is a child who has trouble sleeping, a child who has difficulty falling off to sleep, or a child who keeps waking up during their sleep. Very commonly, I find, um, in my own personal experience, children presenting with stomach pain. And I'm sure most of our listeners that have children will, will, will have had the experience where the child complains of stomach pain. And often they bring their kids to me, you know, doctor, my child is having this stomach pain for the last two months or three months. And, you know, after doing a full examination, taking a detailed history, you find nothing wrong. But when you go deeper into the whole thing, sometimes you actually find that it, it's actually a manifestation of some anxiety problem. Sometimes the child is being bullied at school, but the child won't know how to express that problem to the parent. Because of their level of maturity, level of functioning, because of their fear of, you know, of, of, of being victimized at school, so they'll just keep telling you, I'm tired, I'm, I'm, I don't feel like going to school, I don't want to go to school. So we call it school refusal. Or oh, my stomach is paining, my head is paining. You know, so a child that constantly complains of these things, then we need to, to actually sit down and think about whether there is some underlying issue that's causing these symptoms, which are actually part of a, uh, a bigger anxiety picture. Sometimes the children will present with not eating well, not concentrating in the classroom, finding it hard to pay attention, not completing their tasks, being tense or fidgety. Often, you know, the, the children with anxiety disorders that I see, uh, they come to me where the parents will complain that the teacher says that your child wants to, every 10 minutes they want permission to go to the toilet. You know, so please check, maybe there's a bladder infection or something. And, you know, these, these things, immediately when I hear the, those complaints, then I know that, that it, it's less likely to be a urinary tract infection and more likely to be some anxiety issue because, yes, children do get urine infections, but it's not as common as an adult would. So, you know, there's, there's a whole range. I often see children coming with a history of palpitations, you know, where they come in, the parents, mom or dad will bring their child and say, my, my child is complaining, their heart is beating too fast. You know, doctor, is there something wrong with my child's heart? Please check his heart. So the, the, the message I'm trying to give is that anxiety disorders are very common in children, and they can present with a whole lot of different symptoms. So we must have a high level of suspicion when these children present with these type of, of complaints to us. Absolutely brilliant indeed, uh, Doctor. You know, you make for easy listening also. And, you know, how does the pressure that parents feel, example, in the bad economy, translate onto the, uh, onto the child, uh, Doc? So, you know, obviously with the economy being challenging for many people, especially with the recent events we've been through, you know, we had flooding, we had looting, we had this uh, COVID disease, a lot of people lost jobs. So, Obviously, that caused a lot of problems in a lot of homes in terms of financial security. And that on its own will cause anxiety issues in the parents, um, mood disorders. You know, sometimes you can be a completely normal person, but you need uh, a trigger for these disorders to present. For example, 
you might be completely fine if you got a job, you know, your family is stable, your kids are going to school, there's no issues. But the moment you lose your job or the moment there's some tension in the family, it can actually trigger off a mood disorder like depression or anxiety. And with the recent events, especially, you know, those of us living in Durban, with all these these major challenges and trials that we went through, we've seen a significant increase in, in mental disorders in children and in adults. And what happens if the parents are going through these things, then it actually, uh, you know, has, has effects on the children because invariably if the parent is stressed out, he's not, or the mother is not able to give the child the love and the care, the attention that they need, they might feel guilty because they're not able to provide for the child in the way that the children uh, want, you know. So it, it, it makes it, the situation very difficult. But what is important for our listeners out there is we must always ask for help. Obviously, as Muslims, we ask Almighty Allah first for help. And after that, we must seek professional help. So, yes, there are certainly the ulama who can help us. And there is medical help as well. So whenever we are faced with any of these mental problems, I think what's very important to note is that we should we should try and 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 and, and uh, you know uh, detach the stigma associated with mental health issues. Uh, you know, if somebody has cancer or somebody gets a heart attack, everybody will sympathize with that person. Everybody will go and and visit and ask, "Is there anything I can do for you?" But when we hear somebody has schizophrenia, or, you know, basically. In, in Urdu, they say, you know, Tum pagal ho gaya. you know, you've gone mad. Mm. Uh, you know, but these are real disorders, and people really suffer from them. They require the same amount of attention and sympathy and care and support that a patient with with the cancer will have or a patient with a heart disease will have. So I think as, as a society, it's very important that we don't stigmatize people with mental disorders. We mustn't look down upon them. We must actually support them. That will encourage people to seek help, because a lot of people, they hide these, these problems, even if it's a child, and the child is having this problem. You know, they wouldn't want to come out because they wouldn't want people to know about it for the fear of the stigma attached with a, with a mental health problem. And I think it's important for us to be aware that there's really nothing to be ashamed of if we have a mental problem, whether it's depression or bipolar mood disorder or an anxiety disorder, or if we get panic attacks, whatever it is. There is help out there. And, 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 and things can be done to, to make life easier and better for these people. So we must, we must make sure we, we go out and get help. Yeah, absolutely, Doctor. And, you know, the reality of life is uh, pressure on parents, you know, will cause them to scream and fight with each other in front of the children. And, you know, how does a young child feel mentally and physically in these moments? You know, parents sometimes just lose their cool and uh, the uh, shouting and, the, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the drama begins and they are oblivious of what the, ch- or the children are going through, Doctor. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, in my opinion, we are all human beings. We are all insane. We all make mistakes. We all go through the emotions of anger, frustration. And sometimes, you know, we lose our ability to control ourselves. So I think it's important for us to try our best, if we are feeling uh, that way, to try not to expose the children. (coughs) Sorry. To try not to expose the children to that uh, type of of, uh, environment where they, they see parents having disagreements or arguments or raising their voices at each other. Allah forbid they should never be violent in the house. They should never be, uh, you know, abused in any form, whether it's physical, emotional. Uh, but sometimes, and the reality is, these things do happen. And what's important for our listeners to know is if it is happening in our home and the children are exposed to it, then it most certainly affects the functioning of the children. It affects their development. It affects their ability to reach their potential in school, and that will have long-term effects. Because if a child is a brilliant child, <coughs> but if they're exposed to all these types of stresses, and if the home environment is not a healthy, happy environment, 
then the effects of that will translate into the child's <clears throat> behavior and it will affect the child's overall functioning. You know, and what happens then is that these children often get involved with the wrong type of friends, the wrong type of company. And because the environment at home is hostile, they look for that <clears throat> peace somewhere else. And unfortunately, they find it in the wrong place, through the wrong means. And then they get involved with the wrong type of people, especially with adolescents or teenagers. So we have to be very careful when we bring up children. We have to know that these things do affect children. And I have seen a few cases of post-traumatic stress disorder in children, you know, where children are exposed to a divorce, uh, sometimes a death in the family, sometimes the death of a grandparent that they were very attached to. But they come in with symptoms of anxiety disorder. So they come in with, you know, the parents won't come forth with that information, but we get it when we take the history. So they would tell us things like, doctor, my son is having the stomach pain for the last two months. He doesn't sleep well. His teacher is complaining. He's not performing well at school anymore. His marks are going down. He has these headaches. You know, I tried, I tried this medication and I tried that medication. Sometimes it helps him. Sometimes he complains it's not helping him. So, you know, do what tests you have to do and check him up. And when, you, when you really listen to the whole thing and you go into the social history, you find out that there was something that triggered this whole thing and there's something that might still be ongoing that the child is exposed to, and often it's, it's some form of, of, uh, of stress in the house. So I think it's very important that we, are, that, that we as parents must be sensitive. Look, we all go through problems in life. That's that, that life, you know. But I think if there is a problem that we're going through, it's better to shield those things um, from the children so that it doesn't, it doesn't cause mental disorders in them because these things do occur and it does affect them. Yeah, that's true. And uh, we should uh, shield the children, as a uh, doctor says. Uh, doctor, do you have a tumbler of water nearby where, you know, where, you know, I'll make it easy for you. You want me to take a break or you, you, you have some water nearby or maybe, uh, you know, a warm honey, uh, a warm water with honey and some cinnamon. You got it next to you, doctor? My favorite at night after dinner is, is a hot cup of masala tea. <laughs> too good, Doc. That's too good, thing. too good. That's Actually, the, the first cough, uh, I was muted, and we coughed simultaneously, and I just chuckled oh, to myself. I said, I don't know what telepathy Doc and I have, but alhamdulillah, Allah, Allah keep that mohabba with us. Uh, looking Ameen, at this Ameen. question here, I mean, it says, Assalamu alaikum, I'm Asma, a medical student. Excellent topic advertised on Marcus. I would like uh, to know, example, our maid living in a squatter, in a squalor, in a squatter camp, low income and poor nutrition. The mother and a boyfriend drink and have violent fights. How does the lack of nutrition and uh, violence combined impact uh, a little child who won't even get medical care? Jazakallah, a very deep and probing question from Asma, Doc. Yeah, Jazakallah, Asma. Firstly, I would like to wish you all the best in your medical studies and... Uh, I hope that Almighty Allah uses you for the khidmat of his creation, inshallah, one day when you do qualify. Uh, it's a very good question. Look, nutrition is very important, and in, especially in the, in, in, in the pediatric population. And, you know, when we look at the nutritional aspects of children, it doesn't start when the child is growing up. It doesn't even start when the baby is born. It starts from the time of conception. So if you want a healthy baby, you need a healthy mother. And the mother must be healthy at the time of conception. So it is so important that we take good care of our mothers if we want to have healthy children. And that's where our focus should be. So maternal health is very important. It requires a lot of attention. It requires a lot of um, you know, uh, talking about and education so that people give mothers and potential mothers all the attention that they need in terms of making sure that they are well cared for. Because, and I've said it before, a healthy mother will produce a healthy baby. If the mother's health is good and the mother has the right nutrients, then inshallah she will produce a healthy baby, she will have a healthy pregnancy, and she will, uh, you know, deliver 
uh, without problems, and then she will be able to care for this baby. She will be able to breastfeed because she'll be in good health. And breast milk has an abundance of benefits for the mother as well as for the health of the baby. So, if the mother is malnourished, and if the mother and father are abusers of alcohol, like you mentioned in your question, firstly, you know, alcohol on its own has its own problems. It has social problems. It creates social disharmony. It results in lots of issues in the house, you know, fighting, violence, abuse, trauma. Then it can result in divorce. It causes accidents. Uh, so those are the social aspects. The economic aspects of alcohol use and abuse is you can lose your job because you're going drunk to work every day, so you'll get fired. Then, obviously, there's the health aspects to alcohol abuse. And, 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 and you know, it, it affects the organs of the body. So it affects your brain. It affects your heart. It causes weakening of the heart muscles. We call it cardiomyopathy. You can get from And that will result in heart failure. It affects the liver big time. And asthma, depending on what level of study you are. But when you're in your, in your, in your clinical years, you'll see a lot of what we call liver cirrhosis, which is, a permanent irreversible damage to the liver from alcohol abuse. It affects the pancreas. So we see a lot of people with pancreatic disease because of it. So it also causes nutritional deficiencies. People who abuse alcohol get lots of nutritional deficiencies. So, and then obviously all the psychiatric disorders that are associated with, with alcohol abuse. So you get all these psychotic disorders from, from alcohol so we can see what I've tried, 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 what I've tried to do is just to show you all the different aspects of, of, of uh, problems that alcohol use and abuse causes. And alhamdulillah, Allah Ta'ala and His wisdom has forbidden it for us so that it saves us from all these problems. Now, if the mother's nutritional state is not good, then it is going to be difficult for her to look after the child. So in a child who's in a home where they are using alcohol, firstly, they're in the township. We all know the township life is difficult. There's poverty, there's violence, there's overcrowding, there's poor sanitation, and all those problems have its own risk factors for disease. Simple example, you don't have toilets, you're at risk for hepatitis A disease. You don't have clean running water, you're at risk for cholera or E. coli, as we all in Durban are familiar with this E. coli in our beaches. So simple things like that. You don't, there's overcrowding, you're at risk for tuberculosis. And then if you're alcoholic, living in an overcrowded place, you've got all the necessary risk factors for getting disease like, 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 like TB. And then, you know, in the townships, they, the HIV is very common. So then you're at risk for getting more disease. And so, you know, the children that grow up in townships, they, they, they have a hard life because firstly, there's poverty, there's overcrowding, the burden of disease is very high. And then... People tend to resort to alcohol or drugs to try and, you know, get away from these realities that they are faced with. And that in turn causes nutritional problems in the mother and then in the father and then in the children as well. And then those children, which is the last part of the answer, in turn, if they are malnourished, it affects their growth, it affects their development, it affects their Cognitive functioning, which is their ability to function, you know, as, as, as intelligent people. So also depending on the age, it will manifest differently. You know, every day I hear parents bringing their children and praising them to me. You know, doctor, my baby is six weeks old and look at how he lifts his head up. Or my baby is six months old and he's, he's crawling. Or he's, You know, parents are always looking for, for the good in their children. If a child is six years old and they're excelling in school, the parents will come and tell me, my child is doing exceptionally well in school. Now, children who are malnourished, they won't be able to achieve what other children are achieving because of all these micronutrient deficiencies. For example, if the child is deficient in iron, it's going to affect their ability to concentrate, to pay attention in the classroom. It's going to affect their learning. It's going to affect their performance. So I hope I've answered your question and given you some insight into the effects of alcohol use and abuse um, in the township setting.
Yeah, well done there, Doctor. And uh, just like, you know, your uh, lecturer also coming through this uh, evening. Uh, this question, he says, Assalamu alaikum, Shafaz and Dr. Ridwan Umar. Fascinating topic. What do children fear? Why? Why do children fear to go to school when the parents fight the night before? What is the fear factor? This fighting even goes on in wealthy families. Jazakallah from Anonymous. Uh, your response there, Doc? Alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Jazakallah to the listener for the question. So we did mention that, you know, when children are exposed to domestic uh, rivalry and when they are exposed to fighting in the house, especially between parents, I think it just hurts them. That's the bottom line. And when they are hurt, they don't manifest it the way adults would. So they become withdrawn socially. I think that's the commonest manifestation of the child's hurt when they see their parents arguing or fighting or yelling at each other or abusing each other physically. And, you know, when they become socially withdrawn, then that on its own is a form of a mental disorder because, like I told you in the beginning of the talk, anything that affects your normal functioning in life is is, is abnormal. So if anything that worries you or makes you afraid to the point that you are unable to function properly, uh, we consider that a disorder. For example, I'll give you, a, like in my case, if there's anything that's causing me so much of worry that I can't go to work tomorrow, then that is a disorder. So the fact that the parents fighting or, or, or yelling or whatever disagreement they're having at home and in front of the children, obviously it's hurting them so much and it's affecting them so much that it's now reached the point where they don't want to do what they're supposed to do, which is to go and learn. They don't want to go to school anymore. So that's their way of telling you that that uh, this has to stop and, and something has to be done about it because it's now causing a mental disorder to, to myself. So I think in those houses where it does occur, parents need to be aware of it. You know, We all want what is best for our children. And uh, we need to make sure that we shield them from, from this type of, of uh, scenarios and situations. Jazakallah for that. Are some beautiful questions coming through this evening. Assalamu alaikum. Very relevant discussion on Marcus Medical Files tonight. Nowadays, top businesses are closing down. Kids' biggest fear for the future is that they and their parents will become poor. How will a transition from a wealthy or wealth uh, lifestyle to a poverty affect a child who had it all. Wassalam, Faisal Noor Muhammad. How do you respond to Faisal Noor Muhammad, uh, Doctor? Okay, Jazakallah, Brother Faisal. I think, uh, you know, we all have that worry. Uh, if I don't have uh, money, what's going to happen to me? If I lose my job, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family? How am I going to meet my expenses? How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to afford to send my children to school? But I think as Muslims, the first and the most important thing is to put our tawakkal in Almighty Allah and to realize that it is Allah who is the provider, not anybody else. So I think that that should give us enough comfort uh, that our risk is from Him. And I'll give you a simple example, you know, as a doctor, you know, sometimes the phone rings and you must and uh, you phone hospital trainers later to say, no, doctor, there was a seizure, but we couldn't get hold of you, so we called the other doctor. So what that simply tells me, that risk wasn't written, it wasn't made in the first place, you know? So, like that, we as Muslims should believe that whatever is written for us will come to us, and what is not meant for us will never come to us because it was never meant for us in the first place. And as long as we put our tawakkal in Allah, then... Then, then, then that that risk will come from him. So, I think that's very, very important. And as Muslims, and this being a Muslim radio station, I think it's very important that that our emphasis should be on putting our trust in Allah for our risk. But the reality of the situation is people do lose jobs. There are situations where there's no food at home, and uh, we do deal with that. That will have effects on the children. I think from a mental point of view, since the focus of our topic is is more on, on mental health issues, is it, it would cause stress disorder or an anxiety disorder in the children, especially if you had and then you don't have, you know. It, it makes it very difficult to adjust. 
from from being a person, you know, what we call the haves and the have-nots. To make that adjustment is extremely difficult. And uh, I think what's important is for us to to constantly, those of us that have, obviously, to make shukar to Allah, but to also to also educate and guide our children, you know, not to become proud, arrogant, haughty about what we have, not to boast about what we have, and to make shukar all the time. I know as a little boy, you know, my late mother, my Allah, mercy on us, she always used to tell us that you can sleep as a millionaire, but you can wake up as a pauper, and you must always remember that. So what you have today, tomorrow can be gone. And I think if we live with that uh, motto and with that in our mind, then if Allah forbid that situation does come, then as a family you unite, you stand together, you put your tawakkal in a line. You work through that problem. Yeah, Doc, I think uh, we all went through the same high school, Spingo High, in East Spingo Hills there. And we had a principal that used to say, the beggar of today can be the banker of tomorrow. And the banker of tomorrow can be the beggar of today. Hey, I still remember that uh, principal, Mr. Jogi, and I do. Uh, moving on, uh, Doctor, this question says, uh, uh, Assalamu alaikum, medif- uh, medical file, such a captivating discussion. And uh, I think you alluded to this question, but uh, uh, let's repeat what the listener says here. Why is it kids uh, mostly say stomach is paining when they stress? Does the stomach really pain? Sajida, who's a junior phase uh, teacher, you uh, touched on this, uh, Doctor, earlier on, yeah, but uh, maybe question. make assurance a doubly sure for her. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good question. You know, stomach pain and stomach ache is a very common presenting problem in pediatrics. And we see it almost every day, where a parent brings a child to the room. Doctor, my child's stomach is paining. How long is paining for? Two weeks or two months, sometimes one year. And... Uh, you know, I think for the for the benefit of Sajida, who is a school teacher, she'll often be faced with it, if not on a daily basis, the children will tell her, Madam, my stomach is paining. I think it's important to know in children, Sister Sajida, number one, they're not very good in localizing pain. So they can have an ear infection, and they'll tell you, my stomach is paining. They can have a meningitis, and they'll tell you, my stomach is paining. They can have some fear or anxiety issue, and they'll tell you my stomach is pain. So whenever we are presented with a problem of what we call abdominal pain or stomach pain in children, we must think very, very broadly about what the problem could be. But there are also genuine tummy causes. By far the commonest cause, I see medical reason for children to have stomach pain is constipation. Very, very common. Number one on the list of causes is constipation. And the reason why children get constipated often, there's a few reasons. I'll tell you for the benefit of the listeners because constipation is very common. Number one, they don't eat the right food. There's not enough fiber in the diet. And then, alhamdulillah, granny, grandfather, everybody's giving them sweets all the time. So we pump them with sugar all the time. Sugar is not good for the children. Make them constipated. So one is the diet. Two... If children are at school, and people need to be aware of this, and especially Sajida, the teacher, is children don't feel comfortable using the toilets at school. So when the urge comes to use the toilet and they're at school, they hold it back. When it happens every day, over a period of time, they get impacted. All the pieces, that the fecal matter gets impacted in the colon, and it gets hard. Now it has to come out. It can't stay there forever. So the the... The, the body tries to expel it, and so you get intestinal uh, movement to try and get it out, and that causes pain because the intestine is unable to move that hard, bulky uh, material in the, in, the, in the colon. So that's the, the second reason why the kids get very constipated. Um, the third reason is when they're busy playing. Sometimes their cousins are, are home or their friends are at home. They're playing or they're playing on a device, you know, and when the urge comes to go to the toilet, they're so involved in the activity, they hold back. So that is one of the commonest, the three commonest reasons why constipation, and we call it fecal loading, is so common in children, and they often present with abdominal pain. Sometimes when I examine the tummy, I can actually feel like a, a tennis ball in their tummies. You feel this hard fecal matter because the children don't go to the toilet. So I think constipation is something we need to be aware of. Very common cause. Another very common cause in children that I find 
is, is, is a condition called mesenteric adenitis. It sounds very medical, but it's actually, in simple English, it's just little glands in their tummy that get inflamed. When they get a viral infection, the glands get inflamed in the tummy, and so they have uh, stomach pain. So there's many reasons why children have stomach pain. And then if they're afraid of something, if they're scared, let's say there's a teacher that's been difficult with them at school for whatever reason, or there's a kid that's bullying them at school, children won't come home and tell you this child is bullying at school and that. They'll just tell you, I don't want to go to school. So our natural response as a parent is, why you don't you want to go to school? So the child will say, no, my stomach is feeling, that's why I don't want to go to school. You see, so it's a common reason why they will tell you they don't want to go so that uh, you, you, you will probably find that as a reasonable excuse to stay at home. But when it goes on and on, then we need to think deeper and, and ask ourselves why. So there's medical reasons, psychiatric reasons, uh, cardiac, ENT conditions can cause stomach pain, child with a throat infection. So we need to just assess each child and decide whether when is the point that we think we need a professional opinion on it and see what's going on. Zakala for that, uh, Doc. Uh, this uh, question here says, Assalamu alaikum, uh, Marcus Studio. Shafat, I must say, my family and I enjoy when uh, you and Dr. Ridwan Umar get together. Can the experienced doctor comment on the anxiety levels of children under siege in places like Palestine? Lutfia, who's a final year sightless student, uh, Doc. Allah, but I think Sister Lutfia should be the expert on commenting on those issues. Lutfia, I haven't, I, I haven't worked with children who have been exposed to war. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you from personal experience. But, I mean, in, in, in terms of the context of, of mental health problems that children ex- experience, and from my reading knowledge, in any situation where you've been exposed to violence, trauma, gunshots, uh, you know, the children of Palestine see that all the time. They see people dying in front of them. They see loved ones being killed in front of them. They see, you know, mutilation of bodies, limbs flying all over the show and getting shattered. So they go through a lot of mental trauma by, by, by experiencing this. I think the commonest psychiatric manifestation in children would be a post-traumatic stress disorder, which would manifest in very different and, and various ways in children. Uh, and I think anybody who's working with children from war-torn areas, whether it's Palestine or Syria or Libya or Kashmir or any of those areas that are exposed to that level of violence, and yeah, I'm talking of mutilated limbs and you know mutilated bodies and things like that, and unfortunately... You know, that's the reality that it is happening and we must make dua to Almighty Allah to help them and to make it easy for us also so we don't have to have to ever go through something like that. But I think that the biggest problem there would be a post-traumatic stress disorder, generalized anxiety disorders. These children will, will have um, problems where they would become totally, uh, you know, socially withdrawn. Then they could present with specific phobias, they would have social anxiety disorders where they wouldn't want to mix with other people. They wouldn't, they wouldn't, uh, you know, be able to relate with other people, with other children. Uh, they can have obsessive compulsive disorders because of it. They can become there's a condition called selective mutism as well, you know, where they wouldn't talk because of the, the level of violence that they've seen. You know, they 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 just become mute. So it's called selective mutism. Uh, they, they, they will get specific phobias, you know, fears, and, and it will cause them to overreact. So maybe just the sound of thunder, and they will break out in a sweat, they'll get palpitations, because it will remind them of, of bombs, you know, that fell above them. So there's, there's lots of different ways that those specific children in Palestine were exposed to such type of, of uh, harsh uh, situations would, would, would react. I think uh, I think they they need our help too. Allah must make it easy for us to go and help them in some way if we can. Uh, 
mean, yeah, talk about the trauma that they're going through and may Allah make it easy for them. Assalamu alaikum, Shafat and Dr. Umar. I'm jo- uh, Joey, uh, Joey Masi and also a granny texting from uh, Dubai at the moment. My grandchildren are overspoiled. They only want uh, theme parks and fun. When we go home, they get depressed and I don't want to go to school or do anything. Please help me out with advice. Jazakallah khair. From uh, Dubai, uh, Doc. Hey, mashallah. We, we're really going international, alhamdulillah. Allah accept and, and uh, Allah make it easy for us. Mr. Jazakallah khair for listening to our program and Jazakallah khair for your contribution. Uh, well, you know, those of us that are familiar with Dubai, we know that that's another level of uh, lifestyle. And, uh, you know, what we have to do is then ask ourselves uh, the question of how important is the environment that we bring our children up in. Uh, you know, the, the people who live in Dubai, this is just from my from my little experience, you know, it's a very high-tech, very fancy, if I might add, a very artificial world. Uh, everything looks perfect over there. Everything is very glitzy and glamorous. Uh, you know, you don't see poor people. You don't see people suffering. You don't see the realities of life. You don't see people paralyzed. You don't see people on wheelchairs. Everybody is, is either with a, with, a, with a smartphone in the hand or a Gucci handbag, you know. That's Dubai. That's the impression I have of Dubai anyway. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with living there. But I think if we are living in an environment like that, look, circumstances will take us anywhere in the world. Whether you're living in Dubai or whether you're living in Durban, that's where our risk is written and that's where we go. But I think the important message is wherever we are living, we must create that environment so that our children appreciate whatever they have. That's very important. And I put it very simple. I don't want to give a long bayan on it. But there must be a balance in everything we do in life with our children. You know, Yes, we must uh, spoil them when, when we need to. It's the holiday time. Take them out for a treat. You know, Take them for a picnic to the beach. Take them to buy an ice cream, you know, whatever you want to do, that, that, that's a treat for your child. Buy them a little toy to entertain them. Buy them a ball to play with. That's, a, that, 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 you know, a little way of spoiling your children according to your means. But anything, if we do it in excess on our children, and it's going to be a problem. And that's why this, our, our sister in Dubai already reports the problem, that the children are so happy with their theme parks that, the fantasy world and the fantasy life, that they get depressed when there's anything but that. So it's very important to strike the balance, very important to educate them, and very important to expose them to, 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 to the other spectrum of life, you know. The people that, that are less fortunate than us. So important to take them to orphanages, important to take them to meet less fortunate children. So, you know, it humbles us as well and it educates our children so that they don't have these problems because now it's a problem. They have, they're getting depressed. They're getting unhappy. That's a mood disorder, you know. So it, it shows the effects of an imbalance in life and how it affects the mental functioning of children. I hope that helps. I tell you, that was a very balanced answer. And uh, you talk about the mizan, very important uh, that to have everything down the middle. Assalamu alaikum and compliments uh, presenter Shafat Ahmed and uh, Dr. Ridwan Umar for beneficial content. We have a problem with all kids nowadays. Uh, they only want uh, junk food and lots of it. If we say no, they get very anxious. They refuse uh, to eat uh, fruit or veg. How uh, we uh, treat kids uh, uh, with this anxiety? Uh, Salim Kaka, doctor. Jazakallah khair, Salim Kaka for your call. That's a very good question. It's a very common problem in children, and uh, it, it stresses the parents out a lot. So I think what's very important for us to know is that it's, it's, it's crucial that we give our children a healthy diet from small. See, we all want to spoil our children. So some kids, when they're already three months old, they tell me Nana is putting chocolate in the baby's mouth, and Dada is putting sweets in the baby's mouth, and I tell, or honey. You know, so we're already creating that that love for sweet things from three months old when they're not even supposed to be having anything but breast milk, for that matter. So I think it's very important. Number one is that we discourage sugar, especially in the first year of life. As much as we love our children, 
as much as we want to show them that love and we want to see them smile and we want to make them happy because it makes us happy to see them happy. And we know at that age, putting sugar and sweetening their mouth is going to make them very happy. But what we're actually doing in the long run is we're creating a problem for ourselves. Because like the brother mentioned, then these children don't want to eat fruit and they don't want to eat vegetables because they are too accustomed to all the junk food that we expose them to from a very young age. So the junk food should also be a treat for the children. Yes, by all means, they can have a pizza now and again. They can have their, their noodles now and again or their chips now and again. But it shouldn't be the norm. We should inculcate that love for fruit especially. Fruit is, is the best. You can't beat it. I mean, talk about Durban sugar mangoes, brother Shafat. Where in the world are you going to get such good <laughs> fruit, you know, Sim- to enjoy? Simply the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and it's sweet. It's got that sugar that the children want. You know, there's a very important thing that the, our, our listeners know. The human being needs two very important things that we crave, is sugar and salt, right? Whether you're an adult, whether you're a child, whether you're a baby, those two things are very important. And it's important for human survival anyway. Without sugar and salt, the whole body functioning and organs and everything is going to get compromised. It's going to be a big problem. Go and ask somebody whose sugar level is one. Well, they won't even be conscious of the unconscious. It tells you how important sugar is in the body. Ask somebody whose salt levels are very high or very low. They'll be in an ICU. So sugar and salt is something we all crave. It's essential for life. But too much of it is not good. You, you got a sugar level of 20 or 25. You sit, you know. So the same thing with children. It's all about, about teaching them proper feeding and eating habits from small. And I often tell parents, our children, you know, the young kids, especially during the weaning process, the toddler years, they must sit and eat with the family. What I often find in my experience is parents will get a feeding chair and feed the child separately with a different diet, you know, a different type of a food at a different time, either before the family sits down to eat or after, and then they find the children don't want to eat. They put the child with you, let the child eat that same wholesome, healthy, freshly cooked home food, and you'll see the difference with them. So it's very important to do that. They must eat with the family, and you'll see much more cooperation because children are very, very picky eaters. It's a very common problem that we get ex- uh, exposed to on a daily basis with our kids. They don't want to eat. They're very fussy about what they eat. They're fussy about when they eat. They're fussy about who they eat with. They're fussy about how much they're going to eat. You've got to run after them half the day just to get one, uh, one morsel of food in their mouth. But put them with you on the table and let them eat what you are eating. And inshallah, there will be a big difference. So it's all about what we give them from very small that they develop, uh, you know, those habits and those likes for. And then they will dislike everything else. But on a lighter and a brighter note, these kids will eventually start eating everything. So don't stress. Just relax and make sure that your child is growing well. So if you're going to the doctor and you're worried about it, the doctor will check the child's weight. The doctor will check the child's height. Sometimes we measure what is called a mid-upper arm circumference. Then we look at the child for signs of any what we call micronutrient deficiencies. Like, is the child deficient in vitamin A, D, iron? You know, and on examination, there are signs we can look for to tell you whether there is any of those things. And alhamdulillah, I can tell you in my own experience, the children don't have those problems. They're growing well. Even though the parents will feel that the child is not eating enough, not getting the right nutrients, but these children are actually growing well. And I just reassure them that your child is growing well, looks healthy, so there's nothing to worry about. And to, to end that, that question, I think it's important to just touch on the topic of multivitamin. I often get asked the question, doctor, which is the best multivitamin for my child? He or she don't want to eat. Or also now that people are going back to school, they'll be worried the children are going to go back to school and they're going to get exposed to viruses and germs and the children are going to get sick. So which multivitamin can we give them so the child don't get sick or so that the child can eat? My dear brothers and sisters, there's no need to give them any multivitamins at all because none of them will improve their appetite or boost their immune system at all. Yeah, Doc, two minutes to go before we get to the azana, but let's do this last question. It says, Assalamu alaikum, Shafat and uh, Dr. Ridwan Umar. I really learned a lot tonight. 
in our extended business family, the men folk fight a lot and swear about uh, shares and how to run the business. The grandchildren are mostly overweight, chew their nails, and are also very aggressive. Please caution such men folks on the program tonight from Anonymous. Uh, doctor? <laughs> okay, well, we've got a little bit of time left, but I think, you know, it's, uh, it, it's very important as adults, you know, we are the custodians of children. We are the guardians. And it is an amanat from Almighty Allah to, that is given to us. You know, they are entrusted to us. It is an amanat. Allah has put them in our care. It's very important that we look after them. And looking after them is not only providing a roof over them or sending them to school or giving them food, but it is also showing them love, showing them affection, teaching them, you know, about being, teaching them about dunya, and, 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 and shielding them from all types of vices and harm and guiding them as well. Because at the end of the day, we all want to raise children that will be an asset to society, that will benefit our community one day, that will grow up into adults, that will be contributors to society, to, uh, to helping people in whichever way, whether they're accountants or businessmen or lawyers or whatever profession or whatever job they choose, it must be to help society to educate people, to help people, to uplift people, and to be able to produce this type of, or the, and this caliber of people, we have to take extra special care of our children from the time they're small. We need, to, we need to really show them a lot of love and shield them away from everything that will harm their physical health, their emotional health, and their mental health. And we must preserve and promote love in our home for them. I think that's the simplest way of putting it. I hope, I hope that helps. I tell you, Doctor, you added that to a very informative and a valuable evening, and your company was uh, simply, you know, Alhamdulillah, MashaAllah, and Allah bless you now and forever. Um, uh, your parting words uh, this evening? I, I want to thank you, Brother Shafat. I want to thank our listeners for their participation, and I make dua that Almighty Allah accepts whatever we have spoken today. Forgive us for any mistakes we might have made, and made these Discussions that we have be a means of sadaqah jariya for us so that the knowledge that we impart will be a means of us benefiting even long after we are gone. And uh, I think people are getting ready to go back to school next week. My message is don't stress, don't panic. Just take everything in a stride. Take it one day at a time. And uh, yeah, I wish everybody all the best for the, for the schooling. Let's give our children the best opportunity Let's make sure that we create that environment in the house for them so that they will love to come back home after school and that they will love to go to school uh, every day because of the environment that they have at home. And may Allah Ta'ala make everything easy for all of us. Amen. Amin, Amin. Doctor, you have a mashallah blessed evening ahead. We will talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.